What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, You can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is all my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. First up on today's episode, Robert Strauss. You may know him as Robbie E from Impact Wrestling. Uh, Robbie, how are you doing? Is it do you hey, go by I, Robert or Robbie now? I don't know what to uh, say. Well, my my new character is Robert, but Rob, I mean whatever's cool. Robbie, Rob, Bob, Bobby, douchebag. I get it all on, on a regular basis. It's all good. But hey, um. Just to let everyone know listening out there, if you hear cries in the background, I got my toddler twins with me, so it's not it's not me making baby sounds. <laughs> well, that could be part of your new character. We don't know. Yeah, well, this is true. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the new character. What's going on with that? Uh, I mean, it's 2018. It's It was time for a change. The Jersey Shore thing was played. Granted, now the Jersey Shore show is back on TV and doing big numbers, but go figure. But anyway, <laughs> it was time just to switch stuff up a little bit. I changed my hair, and I kind of just came up with this Robert Strauss brand, which is I'm kind of just like a motivational guy because in 2018, everywhere you look on any kind of social media, everyone thinks they got all the answers, and they try and distribute all this positivity and these quotes, and they think they know everything. So why not turn that into a character? Because most people are wrong or most people are just con artists trying to steal your money. So right. that's kind of what the Robert Strauss brand is. And I feel like no one's really doing it in wrestling. So it's kind of cool. So it's like a new version of Simon Dean's uh, gimmick in like 2004, 2005. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, he was a, just kind of like a fitness guy, like yeah, the Ben Stiller guy yeah. from that movie. But uh, this is kind of all around just helping you better your life. Hey, guys. <laughs> you're gonna regret doing this in like ten years. I have up and doing a podcast, and you're gonna be very apologetic. Oh man! Um, yeah. well, welcome to my life. Welcome to Daddy Daycare. <laughs> All right. Um. So you got that going. Where are you uh, wrestling primarily now? 
Um, I mean, I'm still wrestling regularly for independence all over the world, in and out of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then where, where I'm really doing the Robert Strauss brand character is House of Hardcore for Tommy Dreamer. Because okay. I wanted it to debut on a, on a big platform, and he has a big show on Twitch. And I wanted that where, you know, that was a good spot to debut the Robert Strauss brand as opposed to just doing it randomly on shows. So now it's slowly going to take over everywhere I am. But the thing is, a lot of people still do want to see the Robbie E character when I do appearances. So it's, you're going to still get a little of both. So you do both. You don't, you're okay. You're not annoyed to go back and forth between the two. Nah, because it's really just, it's really just a gear change yeah. for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, so dating back to uh, about, it was it a year ago now that you started your podcast. It's a great idea. Um, you actually talked to a friend of mine, uh, Derek Montilla of the Steel Cage, about it and everything. Um, how was the podcast going? What made you get into it and uh, why start it? Yeah, Derek's the man. He was, uh, we did it, and we actually had to do his interview twice because the first time he didn't hit the record button or something. Oh, no. So, oh, no. What an Derek, idiot. What are you doing? <laughs> but, uh, no, it's just, yeah, it's actually, it's probably not even been a year. I think it's been seven or eight months, give uh-huh. or take. I've lost track. But um, it's really just, there's a lot of podcasts. They're played out. A lot of people do it just to hear themselves talk. So if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it, you know, with a purpose and, you know, a, a gimmick to stand out. And the gimmick is why it ended. It's got a name. Um, it's got a story behind it. It's basically just talking to wrestlers, explaining why their career ended or why a portion of their career ended. And I try to get a lot of guys that aren't on all the podcast circuits. You know, I mean, there's going to be some guys that you've heard their story before, but we try to get a lot of people where you kind of say, oh, wow, shit, I forgot that guy existed. I wonder what, you know, happened to him. Why did it yeah. end? So that's kind of where we're going with the concept. And I think that's drawing people in. Um, and, I mean, I'm we're really happy with the results. We're in the top 10 wrestling podcasts every week. You know, we're in the top 200 sports podcasts on iTunes every week. So we're doing really well. We've got some good ads. And the thing's getting bigger every week. So it's exciting. Who's been your favorite person to talk to that you got a lot out of? And you're like, oh, my God. I, I would never have thought any of this to be true. Well, it's like... I, I've been asked that before, and it's very – the thing is, everyone's story is so different, so they're all cool in their own way. But, I mean, some of, like, the holy good God, I can't believe I'm really hearing this stuff is mm. uh, Buff Bagwell, Just Incredible, just some of the crazier guys who yeah. are really good guys. But the cool thing is um, most of the people we have on our show – because of our audience on MLW and everything, a lot of people listen, so we're giving them a chance to get new followers on social media. Um, get uh, Pretty much everyone that's on has gotten a few bookings out of it, so it's mm-hmm. kind of helping them get their name out there, so we feel like we're doing a good thing helping the wrestling community. Okay. How was Ryback? He was awesome, man. Ryback, you look at him and you wouldn't think he's as smart as he is. He's an intelligent guy. He's well-spoken. And, yeah, just super nice, down to earth. Granted, every time I've wrestled him, he's beat the bejesus out of me. But yeah. talking to him is very cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've done, it looks like, 26 episodes. How many do you think you get to? Do you have a number in mind? Do you just want to keep going until you run out of guys? Or do you want to start uh, building up to bigger names? I know you said, like, primarily you want to focus on the guys that no one else is really talking to right now, which is a good idea. But um, what do you think uh, the future holds for the podcast? Well, 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 that's the cool thing about the show. It's it's really 
never ending because everyone has a different story and yeah. you're never going to run out of wrestlers. I mean, date back to the seventies, we could just get every wrestler that's ever been on TV that's ever had a run, even if it was for a week and hear their story of how it happened. Cause everybody's got their own unique story. That's interesting. So the list of guests is really endless. So the show really, really could go on forever. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is, I think our base audience now, it's not so much granted. We would love to have big names to draw new fans in, but, but it's not so much about the big names. I think people are just loving the concept and loving me and my co-host, Matt Coon. So it doesn't matter who we have. They're still tuning in. Yeah. Well, I have a suggestion for one of the next ones. Sanjay. I've talked to him before a couple of years ago. Love that guy. Big Sanjay guy. Yeah, I mean, we'd love to have Sanjay on in the future. He's still so active with Impact Wrestling behind the scenes. And when he's not injured, I'm sure he will again on camera so probably not for a while have you speaking of like backstage stuff and um that kind of thing have you thought about i mean you're still in your early 30s so i and I, I bet that this is still kind of something that's not on the back in the back of your mind for a while but like the whole road agent thing <laughs> planning matches doing the kind of stuff that tyson kid and matt hardy looks to be transitioning into is that something that you would be interested in doing later on in your career Oh, a thousand percent. I would love to. Uh, I mean, you know, I've loved wrestling my whole life. I want to be a part of it forever. So when in-ring is over, I would love to have some kind of role, whether it be an agent or backstage interviewer, commentator, manager. I would love to do anything to make still be involved with wrestling. Do you have any interest in uh, going back to Impact Wrestling now? Um, I just think not, now is not the time. I, Robbie, just right now, has a lot more to offer the world. Mm. Uh, I you know, 2019, there'll be some, um, I think 2019 is the year of Robbie E. Um, I'm 34. I'm in the best shape of my life. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be some big things going on in 2019. So is there any promotion in particular that you're zeroing in on? Because I know you said you're doing a lot of independent stuff. You're working House of Hardcore with Tommy Dreamer. Um, is there anybody that you want to face that really interests you or that kind of thing? I mean, it's really staying busy and, um, you know, making a full-time return to television. Okay. So that's, uh, uh, that, I like that. I, I don't know, that can mean a lot of different things right now. <laughs> 2019 is going to be my year, man. I can feel it. Robbie E. and Lucha Underground is what you're saying. <laughs> hey, anything could happen. That's the cool thing about wrestling nowadays. I mean, anybody could pop up anywhere at any time, so... Yeah. It's an um, exciting time to be a pro wrestler. Who is there anyone you like watching and you're like, ooh, I wish I could do that, or um, this person is, like, not they're not getting enough credit, they're really good. Is there anyone you've worked with that you've just been blown away by or anything like that? Um, the only person that I'm blown away by right now is James from The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> me and my wife love that show. Okay. And he's hilarious. Uh-huh. And... And yeah, that's it. That's pretty much the only show I watch. We're obsessed with The Bachelor. And it's funny because Penny King's on right now, so it even makes it funnier. Oh, wow. So big Bachelor fans. Do you want to be on The Bachelor one day? Well, I can't because I'm married. No, I mean, it's all fake anyway. It's a reality show. You could, uh, yeah, you could just play the whole game. And your wife can uh, give you (laughs) advice and pointers and everything like that. Yeah, it would, it'd be fun. (laughs) Guys. But, uh, yeah, so what, um, you, you got the House of Hardcore. Who have you faced uh, since moving over to Dreamer's promotion? 
when my debut with the character was Billy Gunn, and then oh, um, wow. I, I faced the local. Yeah, and then I faced the local back to Canada, and then we got some shows coming up in December. And uh, he's returning to Philly and stuff, so I think you'll see a lot more of uh, me progressing in House of Hardcore. All right, man. Well, the House of Hardcore stuff, um, it sounds exciting. You've got that going. Um, what else do we look forward to on the podcast with your uh, promotions that you're working for and everything like that? Like, what uh, what can people bookmark in their calendar? Uh, I mean, just uh, Robbie-E.com. You can see my schedule and then just follow me on Twitter at Robbie E. Impact. Instagram at Real Robbie E, and then why it ended. It's a podcast that drops every Wednesday on iTunes and everywhere you get podcasts. Why it ended com, and um, yeah, just follow me everywhere there, and you can see what what I got going on. All right, we'll do that. And this is uh, now a non Jesse Goddard's friendly podcast. So we get right? going. <laughs> well, thank you very much, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck with everything. Take care. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast, the second part of today's episode, and I'm excited that uh, Bill Alstad, the Seahawks aficionado, he's been diving into all kinds of Seahawks film, preparing for uh, Rashad Penny and Chris Carson to run up the middle 37 times a game this fall for Brian Schottenheimer's brilliant top 15 best ever offense in the NFL. Bill, good evening. How are you? Chase, hi. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm no, actually I'm really looking forward to, to talking some Seahawks football with you. Yeah, so let's start there. I, I just, I, Brian Schottenheimer has been on my mind all summer. Um, his 81st uh, S&P Plus offense at Georgia that one year. Everything about Brian Schottenheimer, and I read a piece today on field goals that uh, begged the question, if his last name was Smith and it was Brian Smith, would he get three coordinator jobs in the NFL? And uh, I lean towards no, but... What, um, in your off-season research preparing for uh, the post-Daryl Bevel uh, administration in Seattle, um, uh, where are you at with Schottenheimer and this new-look offense? Well, actually, you know, I do have a little bit of hope, but uh, Brian Schottenheimer's been on my mind all summer as well. Um, you know, and some good and some bad. Obviously, he comes with his, his own baggage. His name's been out there quite a while. Uh, he's been an offensive coordinator in the league uh, quite a bit with the Jets and, and then uh, with the St. Louis Rams. And he's never really been in the top third of, of uh, an offensive um, production team in the NFL during that time. So what gives us hope that we're going to be any different? Well, in Seattle, he's probably got his best quarterback he's ever had, Russell Wilson, yep. and, um, and working um, with Pete Carroll. Um, Pete uh, decided... Uh, this offseason to jettison his uh, offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel. He got rid of uh, Tom Cable, the, mm. uh, the offensive line coach. To bring back Solari, right? Uh, Mike right. Solari. Yeah, Mike Solari. Actually, I, Mike Solari is really capable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do have some hope with the decisions that were made in the offseason. And now seeing it kind of come together in the preseason, um, I think it's a it's a good fit, uh, Russell Wilson and uh, and Brian Schottenheimer. In addition, Pete Carroll wants to run the ball, and yep. and Brian Schottenheimer is committed to do that with Pete Carroll. You know, it's an old school thing. You know, when Brian Schottenheimer was hired, everyone was kind of poo pooing it, and I understand that. Everyone kind of wants the new thing, uh, and right now. 
passing the ball in the NFL is, is the thing that you want to do. But Pete Carroll wants to do old school. You know, he wants to run the ball. He wants to control the clock. He wants the defense to stop the run. And uh, he just kind of wants to smash mouth you. And uh, it worked for him before. Went to two straight Super Bowls, and he wants to get back there again. So is, are you okay with that? Like, are you, are you on board with that strategy or would you have liked to have seen them? Because they were rumored to be interested in like some college coordinators, yeah. college head coaches for that position and do a little bit different style than what Schottenheimer is going to do because he's a very pro style, uh, old school kind of mind. Like they went in a very different direction than I think even like it's, it's just weird because I remember I don't remember the names in front of me, but like just the guys that they were rumored to be interested yeah. in hiring versus what they ended up with. It, you can tell that Pete Carroll was like really just like when he cleared the decks this off season, he fired everybody except for himself yeah. basically. That was um, surprising actually. Um, I, uh, you know, you look at Pete Carroll and he could have gone one of two directions. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have stayed the course. He had some aging veterans. Absolutely. But those aging veterans, veterans were pro bowl caliber players that he, could have gotten along with maybe for another season or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they decided to go in a different direction with uh, Richard Sherman. Uh, Cam Chancellor obviously had a neck issue, had to force him to retirement. Cliff Averill, the same thing. They traded away Michael Bennett. Um, and, and they did that after they made the decision all, on all the coaches. So um, they really did want to reset this entire thing. And I was actually impressed with the way that Pete Carroll went about this whole process because it showed that he's in it again to win it. Uh, he's in it, not just for this season, but it looks like probably at least another three years, I would think in order for this thing to kind of really turn around. Um, so to answer your, your question about Schottenheimer, yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of buying into this whole thing because Pete Carroll did it once before. I mean, this formula worked uh, for Seattle in 2012 and 2013, back-to-back Super Bowls. They won, they won one. Um, obviously they, they don't have beast mode anymore, but they're trying to get that again. Chris Carson looks like he's a, a legit number one running back in the NFL. Uh, he certainly needs to prove it in, uh, when the games start, but it looks like he could fit that bill. And then they drafted Rashad Penny in the first round. That's a pretty good one, two punch. Um, and then they brought in Fluker at right guard. That's going to help that run game. You mentioned Solari before the commitment is there. Now they just need to do it. So the other important thing to remember, especially like Carson's not this like so Rashad Penny was a first round pick for them and PFF loved him. And he is someone that um, I would always be worrisome of any running back taken early that can't also catch the ball. But Penny can do that. So like that's the good thing is like when you draft someone like him, especially from San Diego State and there's some question marks there. But like he was super productive, not just uh, running the ball at the middle, but he can catch passes. And um, I think that's going to be an important thing to see what happens there with their running backs because they have um, CJ Prosize, who may not even make the team, it looks like. There is a possibility that Mike Davis and, um, well, the, they just had the injury to um, McKissick. So maybe yeah. Prosize makes the team because McKissick's going to be out for a while. But um, they do have a a plethora of options behind Carson and that should help because I mean he was awesome before he went down with the injury and Seahawks fans are kind of holding the breath but it's also kind of nice to know that you have Penny sitting there you have other guys behind them that can step right up so it seems like they've put themselves in a position where um, if they lose Carson um, the season's not kind of over from the backfield because Russell Wilson people may not know this led the Seahawks in rushing last year and I don't think Pete Carroll wants that to be the case ever again. 
Yeah, that's that's really hard to see Russell Wilson running all the time. Now, granted, they want to be able to use him in that play action uh, pass and, and uh, game and uh, and try to get him outside at certain times. But they don't want him running for his life all the time. Um, you mentioned all the running backs. Uh, I think Procise sticks around only because uh, not only did they use a third round pick on him, they don't want to give up on him yet, but he really hasn't been able to get on the field because of injuries. Mm -hmm. They want to give him the benefit benefit of the doubt there. Um, and he has special unique ability once he does see the field and they want to be able to try to see if they can incorporate that in the offense. McKissick went out with a broken uh, foot. He's going to be out four to six weeks, um, probably start the season, uh, on IR. And, um, I, I think with all those options, they'll probably be okay. I think the commitment is there. The offensive line looks better this year uh, with Tom Cable out of the way um, to be able to just fundamentally be a, a sound unit. And then uh, I I see him at least being a middle-of-the-road running team. Yeah, and like, so could you make the case that Solari is the biggest offseason addition for the Seahawks? Well, certainly. I mean – you know, myself and many other Seahawks fans um, looked at Tom Cable as being someone that probably was just standing in the way of some of the issues that Seattle had. Just from his style, uh, his zone blocking scheme was a little outdated, never really adapted to the the, uh, the cut blocking uh, rule change a couple of years ago. And um, I think Solari's more old school. He's going to give you some zone blocking uh, schemes, but he's also going to give you some man, just, you know, block the guy. Because those guys are huge. Like the Seahawks have a gigantic offensive line and it's just easier than. I think it's a better fit. Yeah. 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 Um, Which is huge because uh, you want to protect your top five quarterback uh, long term and. No doubt. Right. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, the receiver position for them because a lot's riding on Tyler Lockett staying healthy because you're already seeing early on with Doug Baldwin, who is so good at getting separation. He's a he's a guy I don't know if everybody else, like casual fans, realizes a top-ten receiver, but he is. And if he's healthy and Tyler Lockett's healthy to stretch the field downfield, and then you have now Brandon Marshall. We'll see how that works. But you have Keenan Reynolds, Amara Darbo, who seems like the wild card who could uh, be a good fantasy guy, uh, depending on how the season goes for them. And then Jaron Brown. Yeah, I think that's the guy. I think okay, that's so the guy Aaron that's Brown the most believer. Okay, yeah, I think he's the most underrated guy on the on the entire roster uh, for the wide receiver position in the Seahawks. Now he went out and, and had some okay production at Arizona uh, last year was his best year statistically, uh, but this year he's got a really nice rep- uh, kind of a, a feel with Russell Wilson um, early on in camp, and he's really been able to show in the games. Um, to, to step up and just be a gamer, uh, go out and make some some contested catches. Um, and looks like he could actually come in and maybe take that number two spot overall away from Tyler Lockett. You know, they, they use these guys interchangeably uh, quite often, but he's going to see a lot of time on the field. And, and you mentioned Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall, where did he come from? I mean, we thought he was kind of over and done with, and so did 31 other teams. Seattle gave him a shot. He came into camp just to kind of see what he had left. Turns out he's got something left. And so we'll see um, if he ends up being the number. from a couple years ago when (laughs) they brought him in, yeah. 
That's right. But you know what Seattle really misses right now is Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham last year had 10 touchdowns out of the, in the red zone. Mm-hmm. We don't really have any red zone presence right now if you look at the roster. And Brandon Marshall at least can give him a little something there. Yeah, and I mean, it was one of those things where they, the red zone, like they were really good when they went the empty set out. I was reading a, another good piece on field goals, uh, this perfect play that Daryl Bebel ran that kind of, they overloaded one side of the field. They had Tyler Lockett move in motion, and then they had just Jimmy Graham do a quick slant, and uh, he was open. They scored, and it was one of those good plays where it was like, if you don't have a good offensive line, and the whole running up the middle uh, was not really paying dividends for that team, but when they went empty backs and they just uh, had a lot of motion and that kind of stuff, they found more success but they do have options at tight end it's not like they don't like they're in serious trouble without jimmy graham obviously the 10 touchdowns it's going to be somebody has to step up and somebody has to fill that void but you still have nick vanette who was a third round pick um was it last year i think i think it was Uh, two years ago two years ago Um, you have will disley now you have guys like Mm -hmm. tyron swoops um and then ed dixon who's injured but he's a really good run blocker so he fits their scheme of what they're trying to do so um they have uh, again, just a kind of a plethora of options, kind of like the running back situation where it's like you see guys that make sense and we'll see who steps up. But um, what do you make of the post Instagram era in Seattle? Well, it's 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 going to be interesting. I have to be completely honest, Chase. Uh, on the Hawks Playbook podcast that I uh, co-host with Keith Myers, uh, we talked about red zone production being a question mark, a, a big question mark for this team this year. How are they going to score points last year? And you mentioned Russell Wilson being the leading running back last year. Out of the running backs and Russell Wilson together combined, they only scored one touchdown. Okay, uh, Jimmy Graham scored ten, um, and then uh, the other wide receivers all combined had about ten. So it's it's really kind of it, it's a it's a big question mark right now. Where are they going to score points? Uh, you mentioned Dixon. We haven't seen Dixon yet, but he's he's got some uh, ability uh, receiving the ball. He's going to block real well for you. And that is really a question mark for me. Can he step up in that second tight end role and really kind of take charge and, and create some separation and so forth? I'm just not so sure yet that I've seen that from him. Um, I've got my fingers crossed. Will Disley looks like a nice prospect. We drafted him in the fourth round this, uh, this year. Uh, definitely a legit uh, NFL caliber blocker and looks like during the preseason games, he's been a safety valve for Russell Wilson. So we'll see what they can do there, but I'm not counting on a lot of red zone production from that group as far as scoring touchdowns. Um, I think that's going to come from the receiver group and then the running backs look uh, like they can catch the ball out of the backfield real, real well. Um, you got Chris Carson and Rashad Penny that, that do that really well. Mike Davis is another one. And then CJ Procise. Uh, all four of those guys can really catch really well out of the backfield. And that's something Brian Schottenheimer is definitely going to want to take advantage of. Who are you most concerned about not being on the opposite side of the ball? So the, like we talked briefly about like Richard Sherman now being on the Niners, uh, Earl Thomas still not reporting and wanting a new deal and he might be traded. Cam Chancellor physically can't play anymore. Um, it's just a lot of turnover yeah. um, on that side of the ball. Who are you most concerned about uh, being away because part of me wants to say Cliff Averill just because when he does play that like just having him opposite of Frank Clark that's a huge thing because there are huge questions with uh, Brandon Jackson and Deion Jordan and like relying on yep. Deion Jordan in 2018 uh, I wouldn't feel great about that if I was a Seahawks fan I mean, uh, yeah yeah I, I don't know 
Yeah, it's it's real tough. And you've mentioned all of the the question marks that that really exist on that defense right now. In addition to that, Sheldon Richardson's gone um, at the defensive right. tackle spot. Yeah. Uh, Earl Thomas is holding out. You know, when is he going to come back? If if he does come back, you know, a lot of speculation is, is he probably is not going to be uh, returning to the team. They're going to figure out a way to to, to trade him. Surprised about that? You know. I'm not surprised in the in the stature of a guy like Earl Thomas really using this opportunity to put as much leverage as he can on the Seahawks to get a new contract, mm-hmm. to kind of get some assurances for the future and so forth. I get that as a player. I really do. Uh, but the Seahawks hold all the cards here. Seattle, he's got him uh, under contract for one more season. Um but can his money isn't really have him around like this whole new secondary. I mean, Shaquille Griffin, a lot of pressure is on him to be really good this year. I mean, Byron Maxwell is the other starting cornerback. It's insane to me that Byron Maxwell yeah. is somehow a starting cornerback in the NFL. Well, luckily for Byron Maxwell, he's a good scheme fit for Seattle, but yeah. other outside of Seattle, he's just not that good. Um, so we'll see how that goes. You're right. There's a lot of pressure right now under, uh, for that secondary to perform. And obviously with, um, with him in there, it's it's just a much better deal. Everyone plays better. He makes everyone around him play better. Um, it makes the defense just flow. That that high uh, safety spot. He's got that that back third of the entire field shut down. Yes, uh, makes yeah. that makes the corners' jobs a lot easier. So without him in there right now, they've got uh, second year player Tedrick Thompson taking the field there, and Bradley McDougal slides over to that. Strong safety spot. It's uh, it's not ideal, but it's something that I think that can work for Seattle if it has to. Do you think it's just a gigantic heat check from Pete Carroll? Like I can revamp this whole thing. I can do this all over again. I can reform. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. There's no question, Chase. It's his defense. You know, he has to believe that. Um, And you have to give Pete Carroll the benefit of the doubt that he can turn this around. He's done it before. I just don't know if the if there's a there's a talent deficit right now compared mm-hmm. to past seasons, um, and we'll talk about the, the rest of the NFC in a little uh, in just a minute, and we'll look at like the Rams, and they kind of look like the old Seahawks, um, but the, but the Seahawks are lacking uh, some depth right now. Uh, the front line positions are pretty well set. I don't think you're going to see as big of a drop off as you think you might have thought you would see. Um, with the starting units. Um, but once you peel that back, the second and third units on this team are probably not as strong as they have been in the past. So uh, that's why my predictions for the season for the Seahawks are so all over the board right now. Their first part of their schedule is brutal. Five of the first seven games are on the road. If they don't do well in those games, that could set the tone for the rest of the season and they could end up being below 500. Conversely, if they do well and they pull out those games, maybe they go four and three to start, they could end up doing well in the second half of the season and being a 10 or 11 win team. So it's really tough to to say right now exactly where they're at. So the interesting thing about the Rams and comparing them to the Seahawks of a few years ago, I guess I don't necessarily believe in the Rams long-term the way I did the Seahawks. And I mean, even still, like the Seahawks, just the Legion of Boom and everything that 
that defense built just going away this quickly. I don't think any of us predicted, but the Rams feel like they're a team that like, okay, we need to win a Super Bowl before we have to pay Jared Goff. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. Like, I don't think the Seahawks were thinking that with Russell Wilson. I think they right. thought that this would last longer than it did. I think the Rams, um, they're just too smart to just, it, just the way they're operating right now is very much win now. I think the Seahawks were more, um, we're acquiring talent. We're going to keep like, we'll, we'll add a Sheldon Richardson if we can We'll add a certain guy into this situation if that comes up and it makes sense for us but we still developed a lot of our own guys and we took care of our guys and they were all in the same kind of age range and that kind of thing where yeah that's exactly right yeah John Snyder was was actually a a great and is a great GM in that mold I mean Mm -hmm. he does a really good job building a team and that's why I'm kind of excited about this reset I think he can do it again. You talked about the Rams win now kind of mentality. You're exactly right. They came off an 11 win season. Jared Goff is just coming into his own. He's entering his third year. They're going all in right now. While Jared Goff's on his rookie contract, so they can pay some other guys. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. Actually, that that formula. A lot of teams are doing that um, now. As far as long term, we'll see. We'll see what happens after this year. Uh, if they can maintain that their roster looks loaded though right now. I mean, and, and that's really all you can do uh, and all you can, you can expect in the NFL is this season. Uh, and maybe the, the next season after that, you can kind of see where your cap is, all that kind of stuff. Obviously GMs are planning longer than that, but as fans, we're kind of looking at oh, this year, and maybe next year and this year they're loaded. They're ready to go. It looks like they'll definitely repeat as NFC West champions. I just don't see, the Seahawks or the 49ers or the Cardinals getting in their way at all. I think everyone else is playing okay. for second place to me. Um, you know, you take a look at, at Jared Goff, third year quarterback. I, I really like his game. I did in college as well at Cal. Okay. Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley led the league in yards from scrimmage, over 2,000 yards. It's amazing in 15 what happens when you don't run Todd Gurley up the middle like Jeff Fisher did over and over again. You actually <laughs> put him in space. It's amazing what that does for a player. Uh, Jeff yeah. Fisher made everybody mediocre. Um, exactly. Brandon Cooks comes in at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Cooper Cup, second year. Robert Woods, Tyler Higby, tight end. That offense to me is loaded and loaded enough. And then you look at their defense. Aaron Donald at defensive tackle. Uh Michael Brockers. They yeah. don't have a linebacker, which is a problem. Well, Mark, their linebacker Mark core is terrible. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Barron's not bad, but I get you. But you know, the defense coordinator Wade Phillips does a great job though with that group, putting them in a position to be as successful as they can. And God, they looked good last year. Now they went out in a whimper in the, in the playoffs, but I expect them to be really strong this year. Um, and I really like Sean McVay as a coach. I think yeah. he's a legit coach. Coach of the year last year in the NFL. I, I think feel like he should that, have been co-coach of the year with Wade Phillips because I don't know if any of that happens if he doesn't get Wade Phillips to come on with him. Like if the Broncos don't just allow him to go to Los Angeles and that doesn't end the way yeah. it does. Like I don't know if he has the same type of success. Like it was so critical for him to have a coach like Wade Phillips join him. Like that partnership cannot be understated. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, and you can say that about a lot of teams in the NFL. Um, right. You got to yeah. surround yourself with good quality people, and um, and and those that do have better success. There's no question. Wade Phillips is. I anybody would want Wade Phillips as. Well, I think the NFC West teams all did this kind of like Kyle Shanahan got a defensive-minded guy who yeah. makes sense a Seahawks another Seahawks guy. I tell um, you what, uh, the 49ers. If you look at them, they're they're like a 
remade Seattle Seahawks team. John Lynch is kind of said, even came out out loud and said, you know what, we want a defense just like Seattle. Mm -hmm. And so they have a... a, Which I uh, love because it's like, yeah, everybody wants a a defense that was literally Bill Barnwell laid out. Like there is a case that the Legion of Boom for a three-year stretch was the best NFL defense of all time. Oh, so a GM is saying, oh, I want (laughs) to have the Seahawks defense. Yeah, of course you do because everybody should want that because it may be the best of all time. I love that when people say that. Like, I wish we want to build the Seahawks. Great. That was the greatest defense of all time. Good luck. (laughs) Well, it comes down to players. You know, it really comes down to on-the-field talent. And, you know, the 49ers have talent. I mean, they really do. I think if you you could put Arizona, San Francisco, and Seattle all in the same bucket this year, and they're all going to be fighting it out for the wild card spot. I really do. Um, I just don't see them winning the division, but they – each team, even the Arizona Cardinals, now everyone wants to discount don't Arizona. Them. They were not bad last year. They don't. They They're really not dropped bad. off. They were like what seven and nine with yes. David Johnson for the full year. Yeah, they were. Like, they were a couple inches away from being nine and seven. And I in this in this division, you're going to beat each other up. So I think that and a wild card will emerge from this division. Okay. I just don't know who it's going to be yet. So the NFC, what like you're very high. Like I think the Rams are either going to blow everybody out of the water, or this is going to implode in awful fashion. Like I just, they have so much talent, so many personalized. Yeah. They they just paid Aaron, or they're going to pay Aaron Donald. They have Sue on this roster, Peters, Talib. I mean, they have just so many superstars that I just, I mean, I think there's a lot of potential for like, oh my god, this is dream team level stuff or like oh yes. we got to move some guys because our yeah. locker room cannot handle this many yeah and we've seen that in the past like with the philadelphia eagles about mm-hmm. five or six years ago right yeah. same exact thing they were built to win and it just didn't happen now that can happen in the nfl yeah, obviously golf takes a step back and he throws some a lot of bad picks and he doesn't materialize the way they're hoping in year three because i think there's a case to be made that he's the worst quarterback of the four now in the division like that's something i would be scared of if i was a rams fan like I, I'm really high on Josh. I agree. And at Russell Wilson, we know what he is. And then Jimmy Garoppolo still hasn't even lost a game yet. So <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm a Rams fan. Like I'm kind of concerned that like quarterback play being as important as it is. There's something to be said about having the worst one in your division. Like I would be a little concerned. Jimmy Garoppolo in five starts, no losses. And if you parse that, if his parses stats out to a full season, he was at a pace to throw 4,934 yards and 19 TDs. Now, the 19 TDs sounds small, but almost 5,000 yards. Now, mm-hmm. you, you take a look at that from With last no year. Receivers. You really, like Marcus yeah, no receivers, but like, you take that with a grain of salt, though. You know, at the end of the season, nobody's really playing the 49ers. I, I'm not sure where, what he is or what he's capable of or what that team is capable of. Now, a lot of folks want to give them 10 wins, just hand it to them. I'm not so sure. You know, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see them start out in the in the regular season and see what they are. See if teams have schemed up Jimmy Garoppolo. Find out um, what they can do on defense. To me, I think the Seahawks are still slightly ahead of them, um, but we'll see. Yeah, and I mean the Cardinals. I still I can't write them off. Like it would not surprise me if they're like nine and seven 
this year. It would not surprise me in the slightest, depending on like I, the people who are like, oh, well, Bradford, like Bradford's getting hurt. Like he got hurt in week one last year. And I mean, I love Sam Bradford and I felt bad because he was really good in that Saints Monday Night Football game. And it looked like he was going to have a good year for Minnesota. He was in a good situation finally. And then uh, it did not materialize. But Josh Rosen is someone like he's got Mike McCoy. Like they made a good offensive coordinator hire um, who I felt like didn't get a fair shake in Denver because he was uh, handed Trevor Simeon and they were like, and Paxton Lynch, they're like, oh, can you do something here? Now he has uh, Josh Rosen, a guy he can work with. Um, it There's just a lot there. Like that defense yes. is going to be good because they were a top 10 defense last year. Like they, they're only going to get better in that regard. I think Steve Wilkes, um, he has some poten- a sneaky potential to be like the, the best coach hired from this offseason just because I think they have the most room to surprise people. And I just, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Well, having, high on the having, yeah. Having David Johnson back at running back. I mean, that guy's, that guy's a, a bowler. I mean, he'll run you over. Larry Fitzgerald, obviously he's, he's ageless. They got Christian Kirk in the draft. One of my favorite players in the draft is really going to help them. Um, he's really impressed this. a lot and he's already moved up in the number. Oh, he's impressed. I watched a preseason game of them just this week and he looked amazing. I really liked him. Josh Rosen, not exactly sure where we're at with him as far as, starting and being the quarterback right now sam bradford obviously has a leg up there if that's going to happen um patrick peterson obviously on the defense chandler jones one of my favorite defensive ends in the league uh um robert kimdichi at defensive tackle i like him you just don't know if he's going to play as consistent as his talent Mm -hmm. tells you that he should be and butter baker safety i really like butter baker buddha baker sorry so, yeah, I mean, they could definitely come together as a team. It worries me a little bit on um, their linebacker core and their offensive line. To me, their offensive line might be their downfall. Uh, they can't protect. a problem with the kind of quarterbacks that they have. These with are not Sam Russell Wilson's. Yeah, yeah, these are guys that can't like move around. Like Josh Rosen's not a mobile dude. And we already right. saw in college where he had that bad nerve issue in his shoulder because he got hit so hard and was like dealing with that. So I, that is a legitimate concern of like, oh, our quarterbacks may not be able to survive bef- behind our offensive line this year. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It should be an exciting year, though. Bradford. I, mean. I think we, we can go ahead and confirm he's not playing 16 games. We're going to see Josh Rosen this year. You're right. I mean, and I've always, it's always been Bradford's rub. You know, he's a, he's a high efficiency quarterback. His completion percentage is amazing when you really think about it. Um, given the talent that's always been around him, he's actually a real decent dink and duck kind of a guy, but he's not going to give you a long ball um, ability with a lot of precision, but he's going to give you, he's, he's a really good game manager, but the injuries have just devastated his career. He's never been able to completely get on track and play. You know, has he even played a full season? I think he's missed games in almost every single season. Yeah. So, but he got his uh, money. He got the bag. Yeah. So it's yeah. all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to ask you about your the the Sam on this Seahawks defense. We haven't talked about him yet, and Barkevius Mingo. I I'm so fascinated because their linebacking core is still a strength. For the Seahawks, Bobby Wagner is still running that defense and he's still playing at an all-pro level. And then you have KJ Wright in the last year of his deal, but you have Shaquem Griffin, who's yeah. right behind him, who will probably step in next year. But uh, is there a case to be made that uh, Mingo and Clark could be pretty dominant um, on this side of the ball for the defense? Yeah, that's really an interesting question. They really like Mingo's diversity. Yeah. Um, 
because he's been able to not only hold down that Sam spot for them, he's been able to come up and rush the passer off the edge, um, both in the five and the seven technique. And, and they needed that right now with Jordan out and who knows what we're going to get when he does come. Um, if he does come, uh, there's still question marks. He, the reports are that uh, Deion Jordan could come back next week. He could come back the first week. They could put him, you know, on IR for the first five or six weeks, whatever. Um, but Barcavius Mingo is going to be a key component to that defense out of necessity. I don't know that they necessarily saw that when they first signed uh, signed him in the offseason as a free agent. Uh, but, boy, he's sure going to be important right now if they're going to find success rushing the passer. And that's that's definitely a big question mark for this team. Can A, can they stop the run? But B, are they going to put any pressure on the quarterbacks? Because to me, uh, in the first couple weeks of the preseason, the first couple of games, I'm, I'm not sold yet on their pass rush and their ability to uh, shut down the run. Um, I think teams are going to be able to score on this Seahawks defense more so than they have in the last four or five years. The question is going to be, can our offense keep up and outscore our opponents? Um, because the defense is going to give up some points. So what are your ultimate like thoughts on this season for the Seahawks? What should we expect uh, those of us not um, as a tune to what's going on in Seattle, like what would you say is your realistic expectation for the Seahawks this year? Well, definitely it's a reset. I mean, when you jettison that much talent, Cliff Averill, Bennett, Sherman, Sheldon Richardson, Chancellor, Earl Thomas is holding out, Paul Richardson, Jimmy Graham, all gone. Um, you're going to have a talent deficit and you're going to have new players, players in their first year rookies, uh, second year guys, third year guys that are just now stepping up into, into bigger roles. They're going to have to, not only prove themselves, they're going to have to win these battles and actually have production on the field. If all things go right and that all happens, Seattle's still a really legit team, uh, especially with Russell Wilson at the helm, Pete Carroll as a coach, you're going to have a good quality team. Um, if it doesn't, or there's some injuries or things don't happen as well as you know you want them to happen, um, this team could be a 500 club. You know, it, it, it's it's hard for me to say that as a lifelong Seahawk fan, but that's just what it is. It's just um, hard because when you have a top five quarterback, it's really exactly. hard to be average. It's hard to implode. That's what yeah. like, some of the football Twitter stuff, it's fascinating to me because I don't think anybody has a realistic read on what's going to happen with the Seahawks this year because it's so duff. Like when you talk about like, yeah. oh, we had this much of a drop off in talent and we have a bunch of new guys. We had to acclimate to this new scheme on both sides of the ball because you changed out everybody, not just with the roster, but also in the coaching staff. Like there are so many unknowns, but they do have like they have a known commodity in the most yeah. important position in football like that dichotomy is so fascinating and it it rarely yeah. happens like you just don't see that kind of deal very often and i mean i guess aaron Rodgers is kind of going through the same thing in green bay this year because they changed coordinators as well and they cleaned house a little bit and um jordy nelson's no longer there and it's not and you already heard him complaining about the young receivers so i think there are some realistic parallels between what the packers did this offseason and what um the Seahawks are going into and it's I guess there's a lot of parallels because Schneider is obviously a Green Bay guy who made the switch to Seattle from Green Bay but um I don't know I think yeah, and you have Jimmy of, and you have Jimmy Graham over right there. they made and the trade with Aaron Graham, Rodgers yeah. is gonna love Jimmy Graham now Jimmy Graham just didn't show last year uh outside of the red zone uh, he had a lot of drops 
he couldn't block anybody, uh, which Seattle really wanted to, to have him block. And he's just not that player. Um, but this year, with all that said, um, if you take a look at a positive spin on the situation, our offense is going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're going to have a much better run game this year that's going to balance out that attack, that's going to make Russell Wilson's job a lot easier. Russell Wilson's already a really good quarterback. I think that makes him even better. Giving him a coordinator like Brottenheimer is really in tune with, with Wilson. Um, Schottenheimer already said he's going to keep about 70% of the old offense, add about 30% of some um, some run option type stuff. The Steve Sarkeesian so, move. Yeah, some play action. <laughs> he's going to run some play action. He's going to run some screens. He's going to, you know, the route trees are a little different. But I think the offense is going to be pretty productive. I really do. Now, is it a top 10 offense? Well, I think it's really close. I think it's it's top 10 last year. I think it's probably about the same this year. Um, so and I think DBO, they, DVOA prediction on both sides of the ball. Where does yeah. that all finish? Oh, gosh. If, if I were to predict the defense, I would ask, I'm going to I'm going to say like 20. I'm going to. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to say 15 to 20, only because it's Pete Carroll. It's a Pete Carroll defense. I like Ken Norton Jr. back there. They still have some capable players. Mm-hmm. If Earl Thomas comes back, first, second game, uh, they don't lose a lot there. Um, they could still be a top 15 defense, uh, 12 to 15. I just don't see them getting into the top 10. Um, it's possible. I just don't see it. As far as offense goes, I, I'm, I think 10 is realistic. Do you think Russell Wilson, like, you know, what's interesting. Another thing about Wilson is that like, there was a lot of MVP talk last year, especially early on. And it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, they're not relying on the defense anymore. They're relying on Russell Wilson to do everything. Absolutely. You watch the Seahawks game. You're like, yeah. oh yeah, he is like the definition of an MVP. And if they win the division, like he is not give it to him. Yeah. He was the definition of an MVP last year. You know, led the, the quarterbacks in rushing, um, led the league in touchdowns. And stayed uh, He's he stayed healthy. He's always been an efficient guy. He's out on the West Coast. Seattle had an off year. Um, you know, if Seattle wins 11 games, which they could have last year, Blair Walsh wasn't our kicker. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So we weren't that far away from being an 11-win team last year. And that's why I'm thinking this year, you know, the doomsdayers, there's a lot of people out there that say the Seahawks are going to win four games or are going to win six games and so forth. I don't think so. Not when Russell Wilson is your quarterback. Yeah. Russell Wilson alone is going to give you seven wins. We have to reevaluate um, what Russell Wilson is if they win like four games and he plays all 16. I agree. I just don't see it. I, I would be shocked if they if they did that. Um, but I would also be shocked if they won 12 games. Um, yeah. I think there's somewhere in between. If they win 12, Wilson's winning MVP. Like that's done deal. Uh, he gets MVP. Hey, absolutely. I think so. Because he's shown that he's a very efficient quarterback. Um, if, if they win 12 games... He's doing a lot right. A lot of touchdowns, a lot of yards. Uh, he's winning games that nobody gave him a shot to win. And uh, you're right, MVP, no question. Last question, then we'll go. So get, we've talked about a lot of the big names, but who is someone under the radar that you've been studying, you've been watching a lot in preseason that you're like, I think this guy has potential to actually be a star one day? Rasheem Green, okay. no question. Defensive end, third round pick uh, out of USC. He's been absolutely stellar in uh, the um, in camp and in the preseason games. He's already got like three and a half sacks. Uh, he's been all over the board as far as uh, tackles for loss. Um, he's holding the edge. They're moving him inside and outside. He's 
he's somebody that I thought we could develop into that in year two and three. And maybe that's still the case. Maybe it's just athletic ability right now. But I'm telling you, this guy is probably a name to watch. Okay. I like Trey Flowers as a, as an option. We're just kind of getting in there. I feel like he's been pretty well. Like, I liked the stuff I saw from him. And I, I wonder, like, with Byron Maxwell ahead of him having a vet yeah. who he can learn from, um, he won't have the pressure with Shaquille Griffin on the opposite side. I wonder if he's someone that, like, we'd look at later on and it's like, oh, this rookie, like, this is a guy who hit um, a later round pick that's going to actually be an important cog on that secondary. When yeah, there's no question. I mean, he's got good size at six three, I believe. Yeah. And uh, two around two ten. Played safety all through college. Came a in. A guy that uh, Pete Carroll would like in a secondary. He fits that. Exactly. Level. He's a totally a Pete Carroll pick. Pete Carroll loves to get a hold of guys like this. Teach him up. He did the same thing with Richard Sherman. Uh, not everyone remembers when Richard Sherman first came into the league. Fifth round cornerback out of Stanford. Quite a bit of the time at Stanford, it was a wide receiver. Uh, switched to corner came into the Seahawks, started the year okay, a little rough. He wasn't the starter um, and came in and by, you know, game five or six, he took over and he became Richard Sherman. And this defense has the ability, this scheme that, that Pete Carroll runs has the ability to turn out players like Trey Flowers. So I think that eventually uh, Shaquille and, Trey Flowers will be the, the tandem in Seattle. Um, Byron Maxwell has been injured in camp, so Trey's been getting a lot of reps with the first team. So he's definitely going to get a lot of reps this year um, and give him a chance to season. And I think he's definitely got the ability to, to turn out. I really do. All right. Well, it's going to be exciting nonetheless. I love watching Russell Wilson play football, so I will be watching a lot of Seahawks games as I always do bill i hope this is a good season for you guys because last year i I felt bad like it's not like it's fun to watch an mvp like uh, is he the best quarterback in seahawks history i guess he is right oh oh, definitely you know statistically he'll be the best uh, quarterback uh, and 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 jim zorn and hasselbeck right (laughs) we've had a few Mm -hmm. but russell wilson will set himself apart um at at the end as being the best of all time. There's no question. And, you know, I, as far as the season goes, thank you. Last year, uh, when we started our evaluations before the season, we thought it was going to be another Super Bowl year. Um, we had the talent. Everyone was coming back. It was going to be the, the, the one more run with Pete Carroll and all those guys, all the names that we just mentioned earlier that are gone now. And it just didn't materialize. We had a lot of injuries, stuff happened. And, you know, it happens in the NFL too to a lot of teams and uh, all of a sudden you just get old you get old your your players start getting injured and and here we are so it turns out team building and keeping a dynasty together long term in sports is more difficult than it sounds it's really hard yeah, <laughs> yeah. well thanks for having me on i yeah. really appreciate it i enjoyed talking seahawks football with you and um yeah looking forward to the season yeah, it was great. Well, we can find you on Twitter at NWCHawk. We can listen to you on the Hawks Playbook podcast, so go to hawksplaybook.com. Um, is there anything that's coming out this week that we should check out? Yeah, we're going to record a show on Friday, uh, game day for us, uh, the third preseason against the Minnesota Vikings. We'll uh, take a look at what's been going on in camp. There's just a ton of news. They've released their longtime punter, John Ryan. Uh, yeah. They've released some players. with uh, Hauschka. He's over there in, in uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. I'm glad that they. I'm glad that he was released, and uh, which he asked for, 
And uh, so that he was able to get on with uh, Buffalo. I think that was kind of a, a the plan, and I'm glad it worked out for him. So, yeah, and then we'll, we'll preview that Minnesota game. And uh, so anybody that's listening out there, if you want to check it out, that would be awesome. All right, Bill. Well, I really appreciate it. This was great, and uh, we will have to check back in later on this season. I'd love to. That, that sounds great, Chase. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Bill. Right. Josh Nelson, the greatest voice in MLB radio, is back on the podcast. Josh, good evening. How are you? Good evening, Chase. How are you? I'm doing great. Missed the voice. It's been like a little over a month. Um, yeah, I, I missed it. I'm glad to have you back. I wouldn't say it's the best voice. There are far it's, better voices, but thank you for the compliment. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a top 10 listeners. Tell me if I'm wrong about <laughs> Josh's uh, voice because I don't think I am. I think it's a, uh, I, I love all my listeners and I love all the people who come on this podcast, but I got to say, I think you've got the best voice of anybody who's comes on the podcast. Well, I try very hard. So thank you, sir. Do you, can you try the whole voice thing? Isn't it kind of, you're just born with some people are just born with like good radio voices, Vin Scully, Larry King, all those guys. Yes, but you can practice to add like more bass to your voice and use your diaphragm better when you're speaking to project. Mm -hmm. uh, those those things definitely help. So for anyone that's listening, if you want to sound smarter in your work meetings and sound more like you know what's up, like you're doing a big presentation, uh, I highly recommend like definitely Googling like your diaphragm on how to expand that to project your voice because then you'll impress people like Chase uh, <laughs> when you speak with them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's all an act. You've been practicing. It's not genuine. What you're saying is you've just, uh, I've been conned a little bit. You practice so much that mm -hmm. it be it takes over. Okay. Well, that's good. Practice makes perfect. Yeah. So there you go. Um, Josh, how are things with the White Sox? I know you're 30 games under 500 right now. It's been better. Mm -hmm. People are starting to compare you to like, oh, this is what happens when you do tank. Some things just don't go your way. And if the prospects that are hitting the big leagues aren't starting to pan out, then uh, it's uh, it makes people a little panicky. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, how do you feel right now about everything going on with the White Sox? Because you just had the number two uh, player in your farm system called up this week. Yes, Michael Kopech made his first start, albeit a very short one because of Mother Nature and a hour-long rain delay, limited his start to just two innings, uh, but he'll make his second start this upcoming Sunday in Detroit so the entire baseball world can see Michael Kopech face the Tigers for his first road start. Yeah, the White Sox are 30 games below 500. What the interesting thing is they are playing a lot better baseball in August. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. The Chicago White Sox in the month of August, as we record this, are 11 and 9. And they have won six of their last eight games. And I'm not sure if this is just, you know, every team has a great streak, right, Chase, that they have their best winning streak of the year. You know, every team's got a good week. A good couple Wait, of weeks. The Orioles had a good streak this year. I don't think maybe so. the first week of the year. <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's, it's, I think it was been a minute. spring training. Yeah, it was probably spring training for them. Yeah, yeah, but, but anyway, yeah, for the White Sox, I mean, some things are clicking. Obviously, Yohan Mikata is not having the season that anyone was expecting him to have, especially in light of the seasons like Labor Torres is having and Juan Soto is having with the Washington Nationals. 
Lucas Giolito, if you look at his season as a whole, it's not very good. He's one of the worst pitchers in Major League Baseball. But he is getting better in the last handful of starts, especially in last month. Ronaldo Lopez has looked better than Lucas Giolito, except for the last month. He's starting to regress, which uh, could be problematic for Ronaldo Lopez because the White Sox do have a lot of talent on the starting pitching front. Uh, Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez probably aren't thinking this at the moment, but they're exactly not solid as far as moving forward that these guys are going to be in the starting rotation, especially what is happening right now in double a for one of the white Sox top prospects in Dylan Cease, who's just crushing that level at the moment. So overall, when you, when you look at a rebuilding team, yes, you can just look at the major league team, but you also need to evaluate the prospects and how the minors are going, you know, for example, because when you are covering the Chicago white Sox, you do have to pay attention more to what's happening in Charlotte, which is a triple a affiliate and Birmingham, Alabama is a double a and, Winston-Salem is in the Carolina League. That's advanced saying Canapolis is the A-level. That you start watching, when you watch these games, you're watching other teams' prospects as well. And I can tell you that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be pretty good because their prospects are solid and they play well as a unit. And they win a lot of games. The Houston Astros are not going to go away because they are doing a terrific job developing young talent. Same thing with like, the New York Yankees teams that can tell you that just flat out stink and could be bad for a long time are the Baltimore Orioles. Their prospects are not good. They do not play well as a team. If I was an Orioles fan, you are entering the dark ages right now as you are listening to this. I, I've just not been impressed, especially what the talent that they have in Norfolk. That if you're At hoping they got something for Machado, it wasn't bad. I feel like the return they got um, was pretty solid. I mean, they should have traded him obviously sooner right. than they did. But um, yeah, I mean, they got three playoff appearances out of it, right? Right. So but when, when people something. when when people evaluate the Baltimore or even like Kansas City, you have to also look at the minor leagues and and how well mm-hmm. these guys are performing. To- well, Dayton hasn't looked at that in years, and I don't think he's gonna look at that for a while. I don't think he wants to look at just all the disaster that's ahead. Right. So for White Sox fans. I think they feel a lot more comfortable and more confident in where the team is positioned than definitely the Royals and the Orioles and even the Tigers as well. I think some White Sox fans would be more confident than Rays fans, but I would caution that because the Rays have a really good farm system and they play very well. And it had an awesome deadline, like getting what they did for Chris Archer, two former first round guys mm-hmm. that changed the scenery, got Tommy Pham for basically nothing. Um, Which was a bizarre time. move. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was, it stemmed from him not wanting to be in St. Louis. So I think his trade value wasn't very high at that point. And he's had a down year, but uh, yeah, no, I would not bet on the Rays are in a different situation because the Rays are playing in the AL East, which um, puts them in an unfortunate predicament because the Blue Jays are about to go through this um, second generation rebuild <laughs> with BGO and Vlad and then Bo Bichette. But like, um, they're kind of stuck in the middle, I feel like, because I think they're going to be a middle-of-the-road team. They're not going to spend enough to compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox year in, year out, but the Red Sox and the Yankees are not going anywhere. They're stacked, and they still have an okay farm system and all of that, so they're going to spend, they're going to develop players the right way and all that kind of stuff, so they're not going anywhere, and uh, the Rays really only hope is a wild-card 
birth to play either the uh, Yankees or the Red Sox for the next couple of years. The White Sox, on the other hand, they get to d- deal with a division that's just a dumpster fire, and uh, it's really just the Indians. So um, the Indians have struggled, and it's easy. There's an easier avenue to success for the White Sox and the Rays, but I think the Rays are in a better spot. If that makes sense. Well. Be careful what you say about the Indians because the Indians have won nine of their last 10 games and they've mm-hmm. taken it to Boston. And if Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez catch on fire, I mean, they've been two of the best five players in all of Major League Baseball. They're going to be dangerous this postseason. But yeah, I mean, obviously, wins and losses, Cleveland is behind pretty much everyone. I think they passed the Seattle. Are they behind the Seattle? Yeah, I think they passed Seattle. Yeah. Okay. So they, they have the fifth best record in the American League. But they're going to win a division, and they're going to have the number three seed going into the postseason, and they don't have to worry about a one-game playoff, unlike right. the Yankees and maybe the Astros. I mean, they're my World Series pick still, so I'm not moving. Like, I do feel like this is the – I don't know, man. Like, the Indians, it just feels like they're one of those teams where – it's not the Nationals, but it is something where it's like you do wonder – at some point, does it? If they don't win, does it just? Does it finally just break? Does the dam break? And mm. I, I don't know. I mean, they have a bunch of talent. They have, uh, like you said, Jose Ramirez, who's having an MVP like performance. It's like basically down to him and uh, Mookie Betts for AL MVP because of Trout's injury. But um, yeah, I mean, they have a bunch of talent. There's no denying that. But they also don't spend. They're very cheap. Attendance is low. Um, the relieving situation's kind of been uh, topsy turvy this year. Uh, I mean, obviously their starting rotation is still great and they've gotten a lot more out of Clevenger than I think even they would have expected. Bauer's been awesome, but he's been hurt and uh, feuding with like ESPN and stuff in the last, last week or so. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like the AL Central just, I, you, I don't feel like the Indians are a team that's going to be contending uh, year in, year out uh, at some point. It just feels like if you don't win after a certain amount of time that um, something just goes awry that we, uh, that we, we may not have expected at the time. Yeah, windows appear to be about five years right now for teams. We're learning that with Washington, that their mm-hmm. window is closing, unfortunately for them, in the final year of Bryce Harper's contract. And at this point, I don't, un, I wouldn't understand why he would come back to Washington. Yeah. I think it's time for Bryce Harper to go elsewhere. And to make it worse, that the rumor is from a rival GM that he's uh, probably going to go to the Phillies. That's who they said it, it would not they, surprise them. That's where he ended up. They've got money. Ooh. They've proven they've spent money in the past. He'd be joining a very young team. Herrera. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that outfield. If he go, if he joins Herrera and Heis- uh, Hoskins, it's just, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that definitely could happen. Uh, be interesting and what his market is going to be but you know back to your original question with the white Sox and where they are i think this season has been disappointing especially in the major leagues but there are bright spots that you can pay attention to that are moving things forward down the tunnel where there is a flicker of light at the end of the tunnel but it'd be nice if 2019 that some of their top prospects stay healthy they've done they've been dealt a big injury blow to some of their top prospects in the farm system um if they can stay healthy and if there's a step forward from lucas giolito ronaldo lopez and yohan Mercada and michael kopech uh impresses and he has a very good first year and the white Sox finally pull the trigger and call up Eloy jimenez and he's everything that people think that he'll be as an offensive force for the White Sox, then 
yeah, I, I think things will be moving forward in the direction that fans are are expecting. Uh, so right now, as far as the season, a little disappointing as far as the win-loss record, as far as the performance of some of the key prospects in this rebuild. But there are bright spots that White Sox fans could pay attention to and convince themselves that everything's okay in 2018. And you have the best first baseman in the AL, maybe. That's hurt and out the next two weeks because you just got lower abdomen surgery. I tried, man. I tried to just give you that one thing. Like, you had the best first baseman because first basemen, uh, for whatever reason, have fallen off a cliff in Major League Baseball over the last couple of years. So um, they did have that, but he is out for two weeks. So that's that's not great. But uh, last thing on the White Sox, and then we'll move on. Do you think the way this season's gone is going to get this front office to be a little bit antsy and overeager and uh, make us maybe not like go... Uh, I mean, this is a very cheap ownership group, um, to say the least, with Reinsdorf. But do you think this is a situation where they're like, they do get a little antsy and they do uh, get a little active and uh, spend some money in uh, the winter meetings this year? Through the grapevine, I have heard it go both ways. That one, the White Sox are going to spend this offseason. Mm-hmm. The other is the White Sox are not spending this offseason with what has transpired during this year. And I'm thinking the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't know if the White Sox are going to be gun-ho, like they're going to be one of the first teams to sign a key guy. But I could see them laying in the weeds that late December, early January, if the free agency market works like it did last year with these veterans that are still out on the market. Like we're talking about like players like Mike Moustakis who signed a one-year deal, you know, or a Jake Arrieta that signed for far less than people were expecting. If that happens again to guys like Patrick Corbin or AJ Pollock, for example, two guys from the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, then I could see the White Sox jumping in on those markets because th- what the White Sox have right now, even though they have all these great prospects, they do have two significant holes. One is in center field. And what they're hoping is that Luis Robert, the Cuban phenom that they signed a couple of years ago, uh, will be their everyday center fielder in a couple of years. But he's still a couple of years away. And he's having trouble staying healthy and staying on the field all of the time. Uh, so there's some uncertainty happening in center field. That's why they could sign someone like A.J. Pollock to like a three-year deal. And Pollock is that stopgap solution, just pretty much warming up the spot until Luis Robert is ready to take over in center. Yeah, because he's 30, so that, that would work. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. The dumpster fires at third base. I like Yomer Sanchez. He's very fun. He brings a lot of entertainment to the field. Yomer Sanchez is not an everyday third baseman. And the White Sox don't have a third base prospect that anyone feels comfortable with in their farm system. They spent their 2017 first-round pick on Jake Berger. Unfortunately, he ruptured his Achilles during a spring training game. And then later on, when he was walking in the backyard, he ruptured that same Achilles again on doing all the rehab work. And he is going to miss the entire first half of next year. That is significant time that Jake Berger is going to miss. So it's like pretty much he's starting completely over and no progress has been made since the White Sox drafted him in 2017. Uh, and, And that's significant. That means he's still three, four years away that the White Sox could pencil in at third base. Uh, that's why, I mean, if they want to outspend everyone and they want to shock the world, then you may hear the White Sox as a contender for Manny Machado. 
and put Manny Machado at third base because the White Sox just don't have one in their system. If you ask White Sox fans, they would want the White Sox to skip out on this free agency market, save the money, and go hard after Nolan Arenado when he becomes mm. a free agent next offseason. Uh, so those are the two areas where I would say that if the White Sox wanted to add on the position player front, that it makes a lot of sense that they could go find a center fielder for a couple of years and go find themselves a third baseman as well for a few years. On the pitching front, I think they may sign a veteran starter to help carry the workload in innings, very much like a James Shields at the moment. Carlos Rodon has done very well coming off the disabled list, and he has been one of the better pitchers in the American League in his last eight starts. Uh, his He's now lowered his season ERA to 2.73, uh, so Rodon's been very good since coming off injury. But if you're trying to pencil in a 2019 started rotation for the White Sox, okay, so you got Carlos Rodon at the top. He's never pitched a full season, so that's a big question mark. Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, this will be entering their second full-time season, so it's hard to count on them. Michael Kopech is still a rookie, <laughs> so it's hard to pencil him in for 175-plus innings next year. Uh, and then, you know, who's your fifth starter? Dylan Covey, who they just sent into the bullpen because he's not effective. Uh, that that's the situation that the White Sox are in. So if the White Sox chase in the offseason decided to spend, I think they'd have to look hard at starting pitching, center field, and third base. They could go for the top tier guys and shock the world where everyone would say the White Sox are spending this offseason, or they can go dumpster diving, in which people would say, well, the White Sox didn't really spend this much in off in the offseason. They're gonna wait to spend the big bucks in the upcoming years when they know that they're going to be good. Uh, so that that's the situation on hand for the White Sox this upcoming offseason. That is the shopping list for Rick Hahn. It'll be interesting to see on how he addresses those items. So Josh Donaldson, Chicago White Sox, five-year deal this offseason, ca- carries him through his year 38 uh, season in Major League Baseball. No. Pass. No? Hard pass. No, you would... What if you could do hard for pass, like two years? Chase? I two years. I said it. Well, the White Sox, I think Donaldson would do that if he knew the White Sox would be a World Series contender. I think Donaldson's going to mm. look at the market and say, "Who can I sign with to win a ring with?" Yeah, but I mean, oh, it's tough. I could see him actually ending up in Boston, uh, which is kind of scary to think about, but. Yeah, he he. I could see him fitting in there. Um, Dallas Keuchel, maybe that's the big guy that they go after this yeah, summer or you know, this winter. Possibly. I mean, that yeah. could work. You know, former side. Adam on. Jones in center. No, no, no. Why are you bringing up such bad suggestions right now, Chase? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what the White Sox will do. What they'll sell. What about CC Sabathia? Is last year. I think he's gonna. Uh, I think he oh, is. I've got player. it. Drew Pomeranz. Oh God, so many injuries. Maybe six point one two ERA. Not a fan. <laughs> Not, Not, fan. In. Not a fan. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think it's gonna be interesting. Uh the AL Central is just uh, the Indians need competition, so I hope the White Sox do some stuff. Um oh, you know what we could do? We could do uh Julio Tehran and Johan Camargo for Yon Mancata. No. And we could put Mancata at third, and then we'll have an infield of Dansby, uh Mancata, Albies, and Freeman. Yeah, pass. And you get your third baseman of the future and a, a bona fide ace at the top of the rotation in Julio Tehran. You'll love him, I promise. He's like the right-handed version of Jose Quintana. 
Mm. Okay. I always like Quintana, though. Yeah. This is a good segue, by the way. This is why you're the professional. Because the Cubs, they, uh, they're they not going to have you Darvish for the rest of the season. It's a really sad situation because I love you Darvish, and I like watching him pitch. And it is uh, the decision on you Darvish or Jake Arrieta has uh, not worked out for the Cubs. I mean, they're still um, at the top of the NL Central. They're going to be a playoff team, but most likely, like, they're, it's not a killer for them but it still just sucks about you darvish what do you what do you think about you darvish's struggles and the cubs just uh having to figure out a way to survive without him yeah so in the national media there is sympathy in chicago media there is no sympathy for what has happened with you darvish uh for those that don't remember well because it's chicago because for the Chicago Cubs, they were expecting you Darvish to be an upgrade over Jake Arrieta, that he signed a six-year, $126 million deal with the Chicago Cubs. Okay, back it up. You know, Stay on the field. Be awesome. Help take the Cubs to the next level. Get past the Los Angeles Dodgers and make it back to the World Series. He's not going to do any of those things now. So instead of a six-year, $126 million deal on how Cubs fans are looking at it now is a five-year, $126 million deal. Okay, well, now there may be some buyer's remorse. Should the Cubs have just re-signed Jake Arrieta? Would have that been the better move than signing you Darvish? And there are you know, those in the media that are questioning Theo Epstein because both starters that he signed in the offseason, Tyler Chatwood included to a three-year deal, these moves look terrible at the moment. And there's a lot of questions moving forward as far as in the near future and how these guys fit. And, you know, with the Cubs starting pitching, it's just not you, Darvish. And that's the thing that Cubs fans don't really understand, or maybe they don't want to face the truth at the moment, especially Chicago media, or they do understand it and and they know it's an issue and it just amplifies the problems surrounding you, Darvish is that you got Jose Quintana is having perhaps one of his worst seasons in his professional career. John Lester, uh, even though he's got a 3.72 ERA, his FIP is 4.83. So it's like it's unparalleled. I remember a Gary Fangraphs article uh, highlighting this. I think it was uh, Kaufman who wrote it, but it was either Jay Jaffe. It may have been Jay Jaffe um, who wrote like his FIP differential between his ERA is like just something that you just never see in baseball but it's also because of the way he pitches now and uh, he plays behind a great defense which is not an indictment on him like he's playing to his strengths basically um which i mean when you have a good defense it's not a not a terrible idea yeah i mean but again for the cubs i mean the problem is that they're not going deep into games at all uh in 24 starts this year Jose Quintana has only thrown 130 innings. Uh, John Lester in 25 starts has only thrown 140 innings. The best performing pitcher for the Chicago Cubs is Kyle Hendricks. And his ERA and FIP is hovering around four at the moment. So it's not like any of these guys have been lights out. And, And the funny thing is I was really dour on the Cole Hamels trade for the Cubs. I did not think that Cole Hamels was going to be an impact trans, uh, acquisition for the Chicago Cubs during the, the trade season, but man, in his first four starts, he has been terrific for the Chicago Cubs. He's been a shot in the arm for them. And it's, it's weird to say, but if there is a, if the playoffs started tomorrow, I think a lot of Cubs fans in the Chicago media would say, 
give Cole Hamels the ball game one uh, over Quintana and Lester and Hendricks. There seems to be more confidence late uh, with Cole Hamels. But, and that's the problem right now for the Cubs. They're only, as we record this, they're only two and a half games ahead against the surging St. Louis Cardinals and a Milwaukee Brewers team uh, that I don't know how they're still hanging around, but they still are. Well, they have a lot of talent. Their offense is still loaded. I mean, they have a really weird infield with shoot being in the fold and everything like that. But uh, their starting right. pitching is a little, it's a little concerning come playoff time. I'm not sold, and I'm surprised they didn't actually really address it with, by adding another starter. But yeah, I mean, me too. Yeah, but with the with the Cubs, the fact that they still have the best record, but they're in this very tight race now. That, in my opinion, they should not be. I, I think they have the most talent in, in, in all of the National League. And they, I'm not surprised that they're the best team in the National League, but I'm really surprised on how close this race is. Can they outlast the Cardinals and the Brewers in the National League Central with a starting rotation of Cole Hamels pitching well, but you don't know what you're getting out of Kyle Hendricks and Jose Quintana and John Lester? Your fifth starter is a dumpster fire at the moment. And your offense, for whatever reason, is not has not fired on all cylinders all year long. And they just acquired Daniel Murphy. And I don't know how Daniel Murphy is going to fit in with the Cubs and, and how they're going to move players around. It looks like Javi Baez is going to play shortstop because they put Addison, uh, Addison Russell on the DL because he's got a swollen uh, knuckle in his left hand. But other people are saying that he's going on the disabled list because he's not hitting. You don't have Chris Bryant because of injury, and a lot of people are selling themselves on David Bode, and Bode's been playing very well. Uh, but is this enough? Is what's going to happen to the Cubs the same things that happened with the Houston Astros? This supremely talented team is all of a sudden surrounded by kryptonite, and these teams that have lesser talent that have had to go through a lot more just to get to the point that they are in the season are catching them in the standings. And what's going to happen when the pressure is turned on? I am confident that the Cubs will respond to that pressure because they have been to the National League Championship Series three years in a row, and they have won a World Series in the last couple of years. Uh, but the fact that it's this close is a bit disconcerting if you are a Cubs fan or if you follow the Chicago Cubs. And it would be nice that they had somebody like you, Darvish, to come back from injury to help provide a spark in the starting rotation front and at least answer one of those questions. But Chase, with him out for the rest of the year, there's just going to be so many question marks. and It'll be the biggest storyline for the Chicago Cubs going to the 2019 spring training, in which to the point, Chase, that instead of just being a story, it might be a distraction. Well, what helps is they've already got their ring, so that pressure is not on them. It's not like, oh, we still got to get to maximize our window with this core. It's like, well, no, you've already won. Like you've, you've already ended the, <laughs> ended the, the struggle. Like that is, that is over Theo Epstein. Like, even though he, it does appear that, uh, he made a miscalculation by signing you Darvish, um, this off season over Arietta. I mean, it's still very early and we got many more years. It's not like he's an older pitcher. He's still, I think 30, maybe he just turned 31. Um, so we'll see down the line. There's the jury's still out on that, but, um, I think the Cole Hamels move was good because I think he has pitched really well for them, uh, since coming over. So maybe he's someone that they can rely on. And also their bullpen still very strong. Like their bullpen 
is going to be a gigantic asset come playoff time. And it does feel like they are still the favorite to get to the NLCS against the Dodgers. It still feels inevitable that we're getting Dodgers Cubs in the NLCS. And if that's the case, um, it's going to be awesome because I think, uh, I mean, you have Chizik, you have Morrow, you have Pedro Strop, who has just been amazing for years now since coming over as an afterthought in that uh, Baltimore deal. Um, they, they're they're loaded in that department. So I'm not really worried as much about their starters just because of the way the playoffs are structured and everything like that. Like, I think uh, they'll be fine. I'm more kind like... Their offense is a problem. The offense is yeah. a problem. I think... But is it a problem enough for them not to be able to get to the NLCS with it? Possibly. If they, okay. if they don't hit against good pitching, they're not going anywhere. I, I can't explain why they are not hitting. I just can't. Anthony Rizzo is not having a Anthony Rizzo typical year. Kyle Schwarber's disappeared. Everyone, you know, Alberto Moore was hot for a while and helped carry the team, but not so much as of late. I mean, the fact Brian that they're missing a lot of games has hurt. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Wilson Contreras is not having the type of season offensively that I think a lot of people were expecting. Jason Hayward may never be the offensive player that he was during his Atlanta and St. Louis days. So this really falls in the shoulders of Javi Baez. And I understand why he's in the talks of being the National League MVP because he is carrying this offense at times for the Chicago Cubs. But if this offense doesn't get going, if they don't start hitting, then they're going to struggle against every other team's bullpen. And they're going to be playing some unnecessary tight games. I would feel a lot better about the Chicago Cubs, who are my pick to win the National League pennant and make the World Series this year, but lose the New York Yankees in the World Series. I'd feel more comfortable about their situation if they were hitting, but they're not hitting. And when you're not hitting, that puts a lot of pressure on that starting rotation. And that starting rotation is not pitching up to their level. And because they're not pitching up to their level, I think they're really going to have to lean on that bullpen to get to the finish line chase. And once they get to the finish line and win the National League Central, okay, what's the state of the bullpen going to be for the Cubs going to the postseason? Yeah, we'll have to see. But I think it makes things more interesting. I'm glad that their offense is kind of struggling and the NL is all cluttered together because you have the Brewers, you have the Cardinals now who may have another NL MVP strong candidate and Matt Carpenter. You have the Braves who are staying alive and staying with it. You have the Phillies, you have the Dodgers, you have the Diamondbacks, you have the Rockies. Like there's a lot of different options and I feel like everybody's close. So it's just, there's no guarantees about who's coming out of the NL and I, I can't wait for the NL side of the, uh, the equation for the playoffs because I do think it's going to be super competitive and very tight. And uh, like you said, these issues with the Cubs may prevent them from uh, advancing to the World Series this year. So we'll have to see. Um, what do you make of Andrew McCutcheon clearing waivers? Like there is still a possibility the deadline is not for another week so he can get moved and uh, be on a, another team's playoff roster. Uh, Leonis Martin, who was a pretty interesting uh, addition to Cleveland at the deadline this year, who I liked and was having a pretty solid year in Detroit before moving over. Um they have a hole like Michael Brantley, if you want to uh, trust him come playoff time. He's great when he plays, but he's another injury risk. The Indians feel like a obvious fit for McCutcheon, but uh, I want to pose the question to you. Where do you think uh, Andrew McCutcheon goes if he does go anywhere? New York Yankees. Okay. <laughs> the Yankees watching their broadcast of late have been really chiming in that they have an outfield depth issue. I was going to say first. I was going to ask if he could play first base. Well, they, they need a first baseman as well. But 
with the Yankees, uh, you know, the Clint Frazier injuries that he's going through and as someone that played football and I have post concussion syndrome, I I've suffered five concussions playing football. Uh, I understand what Clint is going through. It, it, you know, it's some people recover from concussion in a week. Some never recover from a concussion. Uh, so it's really unfortunate because I think he's a super talent at his age and you would be one of these guys that I think would break out with Aaron judge sitting on the bench, uh, rehabbing from his injury. And then you'd be like, man, where's all this talent coming from for the Yankees and Duhar and Glaber Torres. And they got this Clint Frazier kid and, and they still have all these other superstars still. Uh, but you know, for, for the Yankees, it seems like outfield depth is an issue. And if they are not expecting Aaron judge to come back anytime soon, that they may need an outfielder because while we've been talking about the athletics and the Astros battling in the national in the American league West, I'm sorry that the A's have caught the Astros, the A's and Astros are catching the Yankees. Like it's not comfortable right now for the Yankees. I think they're about three games ahead of the A's right now. The season were to end today. Better baseball right now. And they were just a team that was racked with injuries uh, this summer. They just, mm-hmm. I mean, Aaron Judge missing a lot of time really hurt them. And Gary Sanchez hasn't been right all year. I mean, Remind's been pretty okay in his uh, absence. But I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of their stuff was just injuries and their starting pitching depth is just uh, not great. Well, sure. But they're still going to win more than 100 games. But I think that the worry in the Bronx at the moment is they're going to make the postseason. But they'd like they really like to host that one game playoff in Yankee Stadium. And if they're not confident that Aaron Judge is going to get healthy anytime soon, do they go at a veteran like Andrew McCutcheon, put him in right field mm-hmm. and hope that he provides an offensive boost to help them get that spot that the number four seed so they do host that one game playoff? So who's going to the bench in this scenario? <sighs> Aaron Hicks? Yeah. Okay. He's been quietly pretty I mean, good for them. Yes, but you know, rotation, maybe even Brett Gardner. Ooh, that'd be rough. That'd be really sad. It'd be like the Dustin Pedroia situation in Boston, kind of. Well, you, you got to get over it. I mean, yeah. this is serious time Felix right now. Hernandez getting demoted from the rotation. Bad year for uh, mid-2000 greats. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is time to move on. But yeah, for, for these guys, I mean, for the Yankees, that's where I could see Andrew McCutcheon go. Uh, okay, so if not the Yankees, them. who else makes sense? Is there an NL team that makes sense for you? I wonder if that's a thing for him. He wants to stay on the NL. But I guess, I don't know. He went across the country in this deal with the Giants from Pittsburgh. So um, That is true. Who needs an outfielder bad? Not many. And the thing that makes it more appetizing for him is he can play DH in the AL for a team. That I, I, the Indians were the first thing that came to mind, but now thinking about the NL, who really makes sense, and there's the Braves don't make sense. The Phillies quietly make a little sense. I don't you know. know here, here's that might kill Pirates fans. Here's but, a team. Uh, yeah, the Oakland A's move him mm. across the bay and have him play left field. Okay. That that's that's an opportunity there. Does Billy Bean go that route? Do they get? Uh, did the A's? They they've they made big moves in the past. They've acquired John Lester and Jeff Samarja, true, uh, for their 2015 run. So the Oakland makes big moves. They make big splashes when the timing is right. 
so that's one area. I don't know as far as the National League. Could the Angels jump in and just keep no. them on for the next couple of years just because they have such a dearth of talent in right field? No, because McCutcheon is a free agent. I mean, whoever right. acquires him is only going to have him for a month. That's why I'm thinking like the Yankees because the Yankees need somebody to help them out for a month. And you got to look around at other teams across the league right now. Who needs help for a month? Because that's what Andrew McCutcheon is going to provide to you. I think he has too much power for the Mariners. Well, he's only slugging 412, dude. Yeah, that's still too much. I think they're <laughs> at the 397. They need, uh, they want less power in Seattle, Jerry DePoto. Um, but that I could see Jerry DePoto doing something like that. Uh, they need more infield help just because Cano isn't going to be playing in the postseason if they were to make it. Um, there aren't a lot of great options, but I did think it was interesting that he cleared waivers. Him and Harvey are interesting because Harvey is still unnamed. Um, and, uh, the reports are unclear as to whether or not a team's just blocking him getting moved or anything like that. But, uh, he's another fascinating guy who could, uh, get moved like not a Justin Verlander situation from last year where it was like, Oh, he might be done. And then it's like, Oh no, he's actually awesome. And this is insane. Um, I don't know. Harvey, Harvey be interesting. I would take him in Atlanta. Hmm. The Braves have a bunch of young pitchers, a lot of young talent, but it, not a lot of guys that you trust throwing into a one game playoff. And I'm not saying Harvey's that guy either, but uh I don't feel great about Mike Boltonevich, who I mean was an all star this year, that's great, but um a little nervous. The bullpen, Sam Freeman, guys like that, I'm uh I don't know. A little concerning there. But uh is Harvey been on your radar? Do you see him going anywhere? I could see him going somewhere. I just don't think he's gonna provide a lot of impact. The Brewers need somebody. I, I don't know Brewers what's going on sense, with yeah. Milwaukee. If they don't make the postseason, David Stearns deserves a ton of criticism. Mm. Because he okay. the, the the moves that he made before the deadline, like what are what's the thought process of acquiring Mike Mustakis when you have Travis Shaw at third? Then, it was very worry that it was just like acquire as much talent as possible and figure it out later. Yeah, but that, that, that's stupid. Because you acquire Mike Moustakis, who's not as good at defensively as Travis Shaw, but you're thinking that Travis Shaw defensively can stick at second. And then the next day you trade for Jonathan Scope, thinking he could play shortstop. He wasn't good at shortstop. That's why he's been playing at second base. So I, I you leave Travis Shaw in the middle, but Shaw's been playing mostly at second. I, and you didn't address your biggest need. It's not been just this year. It's been for more than a calendar year now for the Milwaukee Brewers. What is the thinking? They didn't acquire a starting pitcher last offseason when they could have acquired a Jose Quintana from the Chicago White Sox, and maybe they could have outlasted the Chicago Cubs when they had a five-game lead. They didn't address starting pitching in the offseason after they made two big acquisitions in signing Lorenzo Cain and trading Christian Yelich, even though they already had established outfield depth. And now we can't uh, criticize them for that. Those have both those, been those moves, incredible moves. Yeah, those moves have worked out well, but you can't you can't do this halfway. You can't just ignore your biggest hole and think that, well, if I push everything else in the position player front, if I improve the margins just a little bit, it'll make up for the fact that we don't have the horses in the starting pitching front. No, David, this is not how this works. In order for you to get to the postseason, you need the horses. You don't have the horses, and you're burning out your bullpen. And 
if the bullpen gets burnt out, even if you make it into the postseason for that one game playoff, you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. So I Can don't we talk think about who their starting pitcher who has the highest war of anyone is Yules Chassin, who has an FIP of uh, 4.06. That's their. That might be their best option. I mean, outside yeah, of he's Anderson, starting. He's their, been bad. He's their start. He's starting that game. If the Brewers That's were insane. in a five game series, it'd be Chasin, probably what Junior Guerrero, Guerrero, and uh, Chase Anderson. Yeah, and Chase Anderson. I. That's a sweep. Like they're gonna get their butts kicked. And it's not great. I don't even. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, well, we could send out Josh Hader. Yeah, you could send out Josh Hader every like two innings, but that takes care of two of your nine innings. Like, Josh Hader can't help you if you don't have the lead. The, the Brewers are one of the most frustrating teams because David Stearns is a bright guy, and they have made some big bold moves, but he is clearly ignoring the biggest hole that they have on their roster. There are still solutions that can help them out in the next week. And I have a feeling Milwaukee will do nothing. And if they do nothing, they don't make the postseason. These last two years are incredibly disappointing because this Milwaukee Brewers team is too good to not make the postseason. Go get Dylan Bundy, Stearns. Go get Matt Harvey. Go get James Shields. Get guys that can help you get to the postseason. Yeah, there you go. Um yeah, speaking of, another Oriole pitcher who leaving uh, Baltimore and playing behind a good defense and a good offense, Kevin Gausman. Really good for the Braves. Good deal. Um, so, teams, trade for uh, Orioles pitchers. They're going to be better on your team, I promise. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. But either way, like it's just weird because they've shown that they are not hesitant to acquire big-name starting pitchers in the past because they did acquire CC Sabathia. They acquired Zach Greinke. They've swung for the fences and gotten big names um, in an effort to shore up their rotation and win a championship, but uh, they did not do it this year. I think they're just banking on their offense to out-hit everybody in a really solid bullpen. So uh, we'll see if it pays off, but they're another flawed team in the NL that uh, is going to make things interesting, which is good because the playoffs are more fun when it's like, oh, this team didn't do this. This team didn't do that. Like, how does this even work? It's it's going to be very random and weird. And uh, I think it's gonna be fun. So I'm excited. I, I'm ready for the postseason. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting in the National League. I think it's just going to be chaos. I mean, the AL is going to be super tight because all those teams are. In yeah, you have like, you have about- super teams. I think the AL will be more fun to watch because you have these incredible series that are lining up right now and just behemoths yeah these giants that i think are just going to pound whoever comes out of the national league i i will say this right now the five teams in the american league are far better i will take the oakland athletics over every team in the national league in five games in the world series Hmm. and the a's would start edwin jackson in one of those games I think the Dodgers are still the best team in the NL, and I think they would be competitive. But when are they going to play up yeah. to their level? Maybe they come playoff time? If they get there, that's the thing. Oh, they're like, getting there. The Dodgers are getting there. I don't know. There. That's, that's a little overly confident. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think the Dodgers will get there. But I'm not like 100% sold. I, I think maybe Arizona can outlast them. Then again, they are three and a half back from Arizona. So if they have to play in the wild card game, you never know because those games are just crazy anyway. But they're not so. taking care of business against like the teams like the Rockies. I mean, the Rockies, man. If the Rockies get hot, hey, they just swept the Braves. Yeah, the Rockies are hot right now. If they could stay hot, and we've seen this crap before, right? In two thousand seven, Rocktober, 
yeah. where the Rockies win like 21 out of 22 games. Uh, I wanted them to acquire Bryce Harper so bad. <laughs> just because to watch him at Coors. Yeah. Why would he not fun. go there, by the way? I don't understand. Like, Philadelphia makes sense. I get it. But, like, if you want to have just, like, A-Rod in Texas and just, like, insane numbers for a couple of years and make a lot of money and go to the playoffs and just be a sensation, just, like, the amount of dingers he'd hit in Colorado. Like, why would you not do that? Why are his people not just telling him, yeah, you're signing with Colorado this offseason? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Colorado does want to spend the money, but no, it, it'll be interesting to see who makes it into the national league postseason. Obviously every team has significant flaws and some teams just might be backing their way into the postseason. Uh, but when it's all said and done, uh, I remain firm that the five teams in the American league are far, far, far better than any team in the national league. And my hot take is is that whoever comes out of the American League will either sweep or win in five games in the World Series. Okay. I hope we get Yankees A's, just because the intensity between those two. Or Yankees Astros in the wild card. Oh, Can God. Imagine? Winner has to then go to Boston. How <laughs> stupid is that? How that would... dumb is that? That's, That's just in play. insane. And it's in play. It's in play. That's crazy. Josh Nelson, I appreciate it. It was was good to have you back on the podcast tonight, man. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, we can find you on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. We can listen to you on the Sox Machine podcast. You have a new one this week, right? Uh, Yes. We, yeah, we had one as far as a Monday. We just had Sox Mm -hmm. Machine live and White Sox wake up call every single morning. So yes, if you really want to get caught up on, on White Sox stuff, come visit us at SoxMachine.com. All right, do that, and Josh, we will talk again soon, sir. Yes, thanks, Chase. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.